Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Very excited about this morning. So we are beginning a new series, aren't we? We are working our way through the wonderful Gospel of Luke. Last week, Tim spoke to us from the beginning of chapter one, where the angel Gabriel announces to Zechariah that him and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby at long last. I am not going to begin this week exactly where Tim left off. All you need to know is that between Tim's preach ending and mine beginning, the angel Gabriel has visited Mary and he's told her that she is going to bear God's son. He's answered her questions about this and then waited for her response, which was a beautiful response of obedience motivated by love for God. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love that about her. So this morning, we're going to be studying the second half of chapter one. And this is a beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture. I'm really excited about all that God is going to bring through it. But to begin with, I want to ask you a question. Has somebody ever promised you something? Has somebody ever promised you something only to go silent on you? Has that ever happened to you? Well, in the autumn of 1998, 25 years ago this month, I came to university in Winchester and I met a lovely young man called John Pickett. Spoiler alert, if you don't know, I am now married to him. And uh, we became friends, then we became good friends, then we became best friends. And we were just on the cusp of something more when the Christmas holidays hit. And I was ever so upset that we were going to have to be apart for four whole weeks. And so John promised me, he said, Becky, don't worry, I promise you, I will write to you every single day of the Christmas holidays. (laughs) This was the days before mobile phones, right? So I think, how wonderful, what a guy, right? So I go home and I eagerly await his letters. Well, a week went past and no letter arrived. But I was not worried at this point. He lived on the Isle of Wight. I thought, that letter's got to get all the way across the ocean. It is fine. And you know, I pined for him and I thought how lovely he was and I shed a few tears because I missed him. Two weeks went by, no letter. And I thought, oh dear, dear, dear. Maybe he's not a man of his word. Maybe he doesn't really like me after all. Two and a half weeks went past. One of my other friends from uni rang. They happened to mention that they'd spoken to John Pickett, and John Pickett had told them, and I quote, that he was having a lovely holiday. (laughs) And I thought, what a nasty piece of work that John Pickett is. To promise me that he's going to write every day, and then he swans off and has a lovely holiday while I'm crying into my pillow every night. Three weeks went past. I have all but given up hope. I'm thinking we are never going to be more than friends. Then, what should come through my letterbox but a package, a large package addressed to yours truly in John Pickett's handwriting. And inside was a letter for every single day of the Christmas holidays. Each letter on A4 paper, people, front and back. Front and back. That is love, isn't it? And he revealed to me in his last letter that the reason he hadn't sent them individually was that he wanted to save money on postage. (laughs) 
Not only was he a man of his word, not only could the man write a letter, he was also frugal. <laughs> Be still, my beating heart. <laughs> Silence is difficult to take, isn't it? particularly when you've been promised something incredible. God had promised his people that he would rescue them. He promises that over and over again in the Old Testament. God had promised his people he would send them a Messiah, someone to redeem them. But for over 400 years, God had been silent. Between the Old Testament ending and the New Testament beginning, there is over 400 years of silence. No prophet had spoken. No word had been heard from the Almighty. No letters had arrived, though God's people were eagerly and desperately watching and waiting. But now, God had begun to move. God had begun to break his silence. And in this morning's passage, we meet three people. Three people who understand what God has promised to do. Three people who have been waiting for God to move. Three unlikely, ordinary people who find themselves being swept up into God's redemption story. We have Elizabeth, an older, faithful woman who has suffered the loneliness and shame of infertility her whole life, but who now finds herself pregnant in old age because of God's blessing. And she's pregnant with the great prophet John the Baptist, no less. We have Mary, a young, virgin, teenage girl from a poor background, freshly pregnant with the Messiah. And we have Zechariah, a devout priest whose moment of doubt and cynicism last week renders him unable to speak for nine months. And we see a beautiful joy worship and the prophetic erupt from each person in turn as they begin to realize the privilege of what God is calling them to be a part of. As they realize this is the moment in history they've been waiting for. And as they begin to see God's promises fulfilled, we're going to see that God had been preparing these wonderful people all along. During the years of silence, during the years of waiting, he has been growing in them all that they would need for what they were being asked to step into. So we're going to take these three people in turn, and just like the great kings of old, Edward the Confessor, William the Conqueror, our very own Alfred the Great, I've given these heroes of the faith their own names. So we are going to look at Elizabeth the Faithful, Mary the Worshipper, and Zechariah the humble. And we're going to dig out some real treasure from these passages and from these people because they have much to teach us. So let's begin with Elizabeth the faithful. Let's look at this incredible woman's faith and faithfulness. We don't often hear much about this lady, do we? But Elizabeth is someone who knew what it meant to feel lonely. She knew what it meant to feel empty and disgraced and barren. She had watched all of her friends have beautiful baby after beautiful baby, their hearts and their hands full whilst hers were empty. In a time and a culture where women seemingly had only one role to fulfill, she couldn't fulfill hers. 
And to add insult to injury, she had not only watched her friend's arms being filled with chubby babies in their youth, but now in their old age, their arms were once again filled with the giggle of grandchildren. Not so, Elizabeth. And yet, we can tell from this passage that she has not wasted that time in bitterness and resentment. She has grieved, yes, of course. She has struggled, most certainly, but she has not lost faith in who her God is. In last week's passage, she responds to God's promise of a baby like this in Luke 1:25. The Lord has done this for me, she says. He's looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. What a woman. What a faithful woman. So let's read the first part of our passage. Mary's visit to Elizabeth. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. This is an incredibly exciting moment, isn't it? Mary has come to visit Elizabeth only a matter of days or at most a couple of weeks after the angel Gabriel has visited her. We know this because Elizabeth is six months pregnant when the angel visits Mary. Mary stays with Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months and leaves before John is born. So you do the maths. The unborn son of God is but a few weeks old probably no bigger than a raspberry, and yet to open his little eyes. And yet such is the power of God on this fetus that just the sound of Mary's voice causes Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb is about the size of a mango. And incredibly, he's also filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't the power of God amazing? It's very hard to argue from these verses that life doesn't begin at conception, isn't it? Neither baby has yet to take a breath and yet each is beginning to fulfill God's purposes over their lives. John leaps for joy in his mother's womb. He's already preparing the way. Jesus is already bringing the power of the Holy Spirit with him wherever he goes. God's power is breaking out. I love that. If we want to experience the power of God, we need only seek Jesus. And Mary has come to visit her cousin Elizabeth for a very good reason. She comes to see Elizabeth because she knows that Elizabeth will believe her when she tells her her plight. Funnily enough, not many people would have believed that Mary was a virgin, pregnant with the Son of God. But she knows Elizabeth will because the angel has told her that Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant. And she knows that Elizabeth will encourage her and so she seeks wisdom from an older, wiser, faithful woman of God. That is always a good idea, isn't it? God has set up this meeting because he wants to encourage, equip, and bless Mary through Elizabeth. That's how he likes to do things, isn't it? That's why it's so important that we live in community with one another and do life together. 
And so we have this beautiful moment where these two women are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, she sees a glimpse of what's to come. And rather than Mary deferring to her as the elder, um, Elizabeth defers to Mary. She says, you're the one who's blessed. You're the one who's going to have the Son of God, my Lord. It must have filled Mary's heart with joy, expectation, and excitement. Mary would have had plenty of time by now since the angel Gabriel left her to contemplate what she was stepping into. That she was an un- unmarried and pregnant, that her excuse for this sounded like utter madness. No one was going to believe her. Her life was going to be blighted by this. And yet Elizabeth, faithful, hopeful, Elizabeth speaks a better word over her, prophesies into her future. You're one blessed woman, she tells her. You carry the Son of God in your womb. You carry the hope for all nations. You're a blessed woman. Elizabeth is the first person to have the privilege of prophesying in over 400 years. 400 years. God loves to speak through women. God loves to speak through faithful women. He's beginning his redemption of humanity with a couple of ordinary women. One too old, one too young. One too poor, one too barren. Both nobodies. Nobody that anyone would have paid the slightest bit of attention to. Why does God choose them? Because God loves to take the weak things of this world, the lowly things, the have-nots, to shame the wise, to show us that what we really need is not money or position or power. What we really need is him. He's the one that brings about his purposes and plans in our lives and throughout history. It's his greatness, not ours, never ours. Don't make the mistake of writing yourself off, whoever you are, however insignificant you think you are. God can and will use you, will call you, sorry, into his purposes and plans because he doesn't discount anyone. Elizabeth is faithful enough and humble enough to know that this isn't about her. She is excited because the mother of her Lord has come to her. It's the Lord she's excited about. Elizabeth is such a faithful woman of God. I love her. Throughout her life, through all the highs and lows and difficult years, she's been faithful. She's been faithful. Faithfully studying God's word, faithfully longing for his promises to be fulfilled and faithfully walking with him so that she is ready for all that God is calling her to step into. She is ready for his promises to be fulfilled in her life personally and in the life of her nation and she's ready to encourage others, Mary here, to step into their calling too. What a woman. I wonder if we're ready for God to move in our lives and the life of our nation. Let's notice that Elizabeth was yet to birth a baby here, but her faithfulness in the waiting means she's already an incredible mother. The way that she celebrates Mary here is the way that a mother celebrates. God had been preparing her. God always prepares us for what's to come, doesn't he? Have you noticed that in your life? 
always prepares us. My favourite book of all time that I have read multiple times is The Hiding Place. It's the autobiography of Corrie ten Boom. She and her family hid Jews in their home during the Second World War, and almost her entire family died in concentration camps. She did survive. And she says this at the beginning of her book, looking back at the life she's lived. She's a very old lady when she says this. I know that the experiences of our lives, when we let God use them, become the mysterious and perfect preparation for the work he will give us to do. The perfect preparation for the work he will give us to do. Let's not forget that. If you're in a difficult season, maybe a season of waiting or a season of desperation, this is not a season devoid of worth. God is preparing you for what's to come. And our faithfulness in this season, our partnering with God, our digging deep into the scriptures, knowing God's promises over us, that's what will see us through. That's what will prepare us. So, Mary has come to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth has prophesied over her. She's encouraged her. She's rejoiced with her. In fact, she's so encouraged Mary, and the Holy Spirit has so filled their hearts that what happens next is so beautiful. Mary bursts out in worship to God. Mary, the worshiper we're on now. And what comes out as Mary overflows with worship is one of the most beautiful songs of praise that we find in the Bible. It's been called the Magnificat because the first line of this song says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And Magnificat is magnify in Latin. And it truly is magnificent. It makes one long to worship the Lord, to magnify him with our lives. So let's read it. Mary's praise. Let's read this beautiful song of praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, because he has looked with favour on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors." Isn't it wonderful? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and seen this between these two women? Mary turns her blessing into praise. She's been blessed, the most blessed woman in history. And she uses her blessing to magnify the Lord. This is an incredible masterclass, this song, in how to worship God. First, Mary passionately rejoices in God's saving grace over her life. She wants to magnify him because he's looked with favor on her. She knows, she knows she's a sinner in need of a savior. She knows she's a nobody whom God has chosen for an incredible task and she overflows with gratitude for this. It's beautiful. She understands she's been chosen for this not because of anything she's done, but all because of him. Surely everyone will call me blessed, she exclaims, because the mighty one has done great things for me. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you need to know the mighty one has done great things for you too. 
And if Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew she needed salvation, how much more do we? And that saving grace that Mary experienced is available for all of us. Then her worship spreads out, gets bigger, sees the bigger picture. His mercy is from generation to generation, she says. He's done mighty deeds for everyone. He's helped all who are lowly and oppressed, hungry and poor. It's not just for the rich or the noble. She praises the God who satisfies the hungry because she knows what it is to feel hungry. And yet she also knows her deepest need is to be satisfied spiritually. She ends her song by remembering God's faithfulness throughout Israel's history and by recalling that he is doing exactly what he promised. He is remembering his promise to Abraham. She's rejoicing in all those wonderful promises being fulfilled that we read about in the Old Testament. In this song, Mary's gone from herself to everyone, to God's promises fulfilled in Christ. But it's not the formula of the song that teaches us how to worship. It's the attitude of the worshiper. Mary overflows with passionate thanksgiving, with love and gratitude for God, who he is and what he's done. I love that about her. She overflows with scripture. Despite her youth, Mary's song is not shallow or flippant. It's quite an incredible song from a 14-year-old, isn't it? This beautiful song of worship shows us that God had been preparing this wonderful woman all along. She was ready, like Elizabeth, for what she was about to step into. And she was ready because she had a life rooted in Scripture. She was somebody who spent time in God's Word. This song is so rich in Scripture. This song that Mary sings not only shows that she knew Israel's history well, not only shows she understood what the Jewish nation had been through and what they were waiting for, but this song has echoes of many other songs in the Old Testament. It has echoes of the song Hannah sings after God blesses her barren womb with a baby who is to become the prophet Samuel. It has echoes of the song the prophetess Miriam sings when the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea and all of Pharaoh's army has drowned beneath the waves. It has echoes of the song Deborah, the judge and prophetess sings when she leads the Israelites into victory over King Jabin. It, has, it is a song that echoes the jubilant worship of many Old Testament women. Barbara Reed says this, these songs are not sweet lullabies. They are militant songs that exult in the saving power of God that has brought defeat to those who had subjugated God's people. This is not a meek and mild song from a meek and mild woman. Mary is not someone who sits around in blue clothing smiling sweetly on the front of Christmas cards. She is a God-fearing Bible-reading, prophetic-speaking warrior. She has been prepared for this challenge, which is going to be humiliating, heartbreaking, and tough. And she is prepared to face it with worship on her lips, obedience in her heart, and a life rooted in Scripture. Let's not make the mistake of patronizing the women of the Bible. 
This incredible woman is going to give birth in a smelly stable, far from home, without any medical intervention before she's even left her teenage years. She's going to flee to Egypt for the life of her son before a year is out. She's going to raise the perfect Messiah whilst having flawed children of her own. She's going to watch her precious firstborn die an agonizing death on a cross. And she is still still going to be part of the crowd of people waiting for God to move in the upper room when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. What a woman. What an incredible woman. And she's incredible because God had been preparing her. She faces all this with worship on her lips and obedience in her heart and a life rooted in scripture because that is what God has been growing in her. What a woman. When we allow God to prepare us, we can be ready for anything, anything. I want to be like Mary, don't you? I want to be someone who faces every challenge that comes my way with worship on my lips and obedience in my heart and my life rooted in scripture. I admire this woman. Finally, we come on to Zechariah the humble. Zechariah had a moment of doubt and cynicism in last week's passage, didn't he? Because of that, God renders him silent for nine whole months, as it turns out. How frustrating that must have been just when Zechariah had such good news to tell everyone that his wife was pregnant. I mean, I would struggle to be quiet for five minutes, but nine months... In this last part of the passage, Mary gives birth to a beautiful baby boy. And the people say, call him Zechariah, as is the custom, call him after his father. But Zechariah's nine months of silence have not been wasted. God has done a great work in his heart. Zechariah's preparation is complete. His doubt is gone. He is back on board with God's plans. And so this is what happens in verse 59. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father, but his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, well, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. God loves to restore us, doesn't he? I love how real the Bible is about people who make mistakes, which is all of us, obviously. But God always offers us a second chance. God gives Zechariah a second go here at embracing belief over doubt. The angel had told Zechariah that this baby is to be called John. And so when Zechariah confirms that name, he's showing that he now believes. He is humble enough to admit his mistakes and seek change. I love that attitude in Zechariah because that is a really, really hard attitude to have, isn't it? It's really hard to be humble enough to admit our mistakes. Maybe some of us feel like Zechariah, that we are full of doubt and cynicism, that we have made mistakes God wants to say to us this morning, he's the God of the second chance and third and fourth. And if you humbly bring your doubt and your questions to him, he will help you and he will restore you. Just like Elizabeth and Mary, Zechariah is so overcome with joy at what is unfolding in his life that his response is worship. 
It's interesting that their responses have been just this beautiful worship. And so he begins to worship, and like Mary, his song is a beautiful song that overflows with scripture, with love for God, and with the prophetic. And as I read this song of worship, I want you to imagine Zechariah taking his newborn son in his arms, a son he thought he would never have, never hold, celebrating and prophesying over him in awe of God's goodness to him. He takes his son, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he gets his son and he looks in his beautiful little face and he says this, and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the right sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. What a beautiful moment. If it was a film, the credits would roll there, wouldn't they? Zechariah and Elizabeth have a beautiful baby boy. Mary is pregnant with the saviour of the world. Rescue has come. God has broken in. His silence is over. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. People are moving in the prophetic once again. Instead of their shame, they have a double portion of God's blessing. Their faithfulness in the waiting has been rewarded. What a wonderful moment. We are coming into land now. Elizabeth the faithful, Mary the worshipper, Zechariah the humble, show us what God can do with ordinary nobodies when we give ourselves to walking humbly and faithfully with him through every season of our lives. They show us that no season is wasted when we spend it in God's word, when we allow him to prepare our hearts and captivate our souls with his goodness and his majesty. They show us that true riches are not an easy life, not a life devoid of difficulty and heartache, but a life walked humbly and faithfully with Jesus. They teach us that if we allow God to work in our lives, he can use our worst moments to prepare us for what's to come. They teach us not to give up hope because God always fulfills his promises, always. God has good plans for us as individuals, as a church, as the church, as the bride of Christ. And that one day, God is going to fulfill his promise that Jesus will return. God promises us that, doesn't he? It might sound as ludicrous as a virgin pregnant with the Son of God to the people around us. But one day, God will fulfill this promise too. 
One day, sooner or later, he's going to come back riding on the clouds, triumphant in his splendor and majesty. And those of us who have been faithful in the waiting will receive him with joy and worship and gratitude. Can I have the band up, please? I want to be faithful in the waiting, don't you? I want to dig deep into the riches of God's word daily. I want his word to be the thing that sustains me. I want to be someone who worships with gratitude at all his abundant goodness to me. I don't want to be flippant or casual about worship. I want to be someone who humbly admits when I get things wrong. You can ask my husband, I'm not very good at that. I want to be faithful in every season of my life so that God can use me in whatever way he sees fit to advance the gospel in our day, to bless others and to worship him. So let's be those who allow God to work in our hearts, who dig deep into his word and who are faithful, humble worshippers like Mary, Elizabeth and Zechariah. So to finish, I want us to worship with grateful hearts. All week I've been singing that song that the band taught us, the first song this morning. And I was thinking, oh, this would be great for today. But I didn't think the band knew it. And then I came in this morning and they're playing it. And it's such a lovely song. It talks about us magnifying God and glorifying God and being thankful for all that he's done. And I want to be a worshiper. I want to be someone who overflows with worship in every season of my life. You know, we're not all worshipping this morning because everything's great and hunky-dory and we're all happy and fine. We're worshipping because we're pushing through, because we love God, because we know that he is worthy to be praised no matter what we're going through, no matter what the circumstances are. We want to be faithful to him because we love him with all our hearts. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. God, we thank you that you are so gracious and gentle with us, that you never give us something or ask us to step into something without preparing us first. We love that about you, God. We love that you can see what's to come and we can't, but we can trust you as we walk humbly and faithfully by your side. We can trust that you are preparing us, that you are calling us to you. And God, we wanna worship you. We wanna say we wanna be like Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah who poured out their worship upon you, who praised you and thanked you and adored you. We wanna magnify you in our lives. We wanna magnify you in our church. We wanna magnify you in our town. We want to magnify you in our streets, in our house, with our neighbours. We want to be people of worship, people who worship you and who allow you to work in our lives. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship.